Welcome to Turning Point. Being generous with your money is good. But if that's where it ends, you're missing God's purpose in this important character quality. Today, Dr. David Jeremiah considers what Jesus said about living generously. Not surprisingly, it isn't about what flows from your wallet, but what flows from your spirit. Listen as David introduces today's message, A Life of Generosity. Well, you know, so often when we talk about generosity, we think it's all about money. And and that certainly is a part of it. Uh, you can't be a generous person and hoard your resources. But generosity is a spirit. It is a it is a desire on the part of someone to be useful and helpful. And uh, I don't know what it's like for you, but I want to be a generous person. And I want people, when they look back uh, on my life, when it's over, I'd like them to say that he was a generous person. Are you a generous person? You know, I know some people, they hoard every nickel. They never want to share anything with anybody And they end up becoming very miserable when you live for yourself and you close yourself off to the hurts and needs and opportunities that are around you. You cannot be a healthy, whole person. So generosity is a very important subject. We're going to tackle it here in just a moment and spend two days talking about it here in this series called A Life Beyond Amazing. The resource for the month of November is the book, Why the Nativity? a beautiful special edition of this book that has been created for the docudrama Why the Nativity, which comes out uh, the week of Thanksgiving. For a gift of any amount to Turning Point, we'll send you this beautiful book, which has in it bound four-color pictures of the actual movie set where this was all created. I don't know if I've told you this, but we actually built Bethlehem here in Southern California, And I have kind of joked about the fact that it was shot in Lakeside, Israel, (laughs) and there is no such place. But it's 14 minutes from Turning Point on a farm that we leased for three years. And during that time, we created the city of Bethlehem. We built it from scratch. Uh, If you were to go there when it was all set up uh, and we were shooting, you would have been amazed at how much it appeared to be like that wonderful city. Uh, in the Middle East. So the movie is going to be very, uh, very powerful. Uh, We're so excited about the interest that is being um, shared in this and and the production of it and the syndication of it. Pray for the movie as it comes out that it will be a blessing to Christians and a challenge to those who do not know the love of God in their hearts. And, um, Be sure and ask for this book when you send your gift to Turning Point today. Well, here's part one of A Life of Generosity. I have been talking to you about some of the character traits that the Bible tells us we are to be developing in our own lives. And we know this is a a divine cooperative. The Spirit of God gives us these gifts as a result of His filling us with His Spirit. And then we're told to cultivate them. There's not one of these characteristics that is not commanded most of the time, many times in the New Testament. And we've talked about many of them. Today I want to talk with you about generosity. I've grown up in the Christian faith. I've grown up in a Christian family. As you know, my father was a pastor and then a president of a Christian college. So I've been around Christianity a long time. And uh, while there are many generous people among Christians... If you had to ask the people out there in the culture, are Christian people generous or are they stingy? 
you probably get about a 50% either way. I've known some really great, generous Christians. I've also known some pretty stingy ones. And sometimes their stinginess is obnoxious. Here's an illustration. There was a period of time earlier in my life when it was very common to hear that Christians carried around with them a little tract. And the tract said, this is a tip. And they would take that to the restaurant with them when they would go to eat. And instead of leaving money for the waiter or the waitress, they would leave a tract that says, this is the tip. And on the inside was the gospel. What do you think the chances are that the gospel even got read after that? They work hard to serve you, then they come, and there's now. You want to leave some money inside that? You might get that tract read, but if you leave it with no money, that's obnoxious. And that gives Christians a terrible name. And we don't have any more sense than to do something like that. Kind of reminds me of the old adage that when the Southern Baptists come to town, they bring two things with them. They bring the Ten Commandments and they bring a $10 bill and they don't break either one of them. And that's kind of the way it is for a lot of Christians, you know. So, you know, early on in my life, I reacted to that and I've always prayed that God would help me be and become more and more a generous person. So I'm going to talk about generosity today and it's not primarily a stewardship message, but Whatever the Lord says to you, that's all right. I want my last check to bounce. These are the words of billionaire philanthropist Charles Feeney, who made his fortune in the duty-free shopping industry and began secretly to give his money away in 1984. Feeney's goal was to make a difference in the world while he was alive and give all of his money away so that the last check that he wrote bounced. By 2016, he'd given more than $8 billion to charitable organizations around the world. But his giving while you're living philosophy did more than impact the recipients of his own personal gifts. He was one of the influences behind Bill and Melinda Gates and their charitable foundation. The other inspiration behind the Gates Charitable Foundation, according to Bill Gates, was his mother, Mary. Gates often credits his journey toward generosity to a letter that his mother wrote to his then fiance Melinda, on the day before they were married. In biblical terms, Mary reminded her son's bride that from those to whom much is given, much is expected. Six months after writing that letter, Mary Gates died of breast cancer And after her death, Bill Gates, with his father's help, dedicated $100 million to what would become the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. And from its inception, that foundation has given away more than $36 billion. These are remarkable examples of generosity, of course, but not everyone has that kind of money. Not everyone can do that. Take Albert Lexi, for example. In 1981, Albert Lexi started working at the Children's Hospital of Pittsburgh cleaning and polishing shoes for $5 a pair. Often, satisfied customers tipped him, usually a dollar or two. One Christmas, a customer actually gave him $50 for shining his shoes. But tips like that were rare, and of course, over the years, as styles have changed, Albert has seen his business dwindle. But in 2013, he retired. He retired after 32 years on the job. 
There was a farewell party. The hospital staff and the administration spoke of how much he'd be missed. But when he walked out the door on the last day, his influence at that hospital continued. You see, during all those years of shining shoes, Albert Lexi donated more than 30% of his earnings to the hospital's free care fund, which helps cash-strapped parents pay for their children's medical care. And those tips, every single one to the hospital, during his career, he gave more than $200,000 to that hospital. That's the kind of money rock stars give. That's the kind of money Bill Gates gives. That's not the kind of money a shoeshine man gives to charity. What you see, what that illustrates more than anything else is that generosity is not about what's in your pocket. Generosity is about what's in your heart. The word generosity is not found on our list of nine decisions that we have used as our outline, but the concept is there. It's hiding in the word goodness, and it's really an appropriate response to goodness because oftentimes people think the goodness of the Bible is simply the absence of badness. But the Bible's goodness is not the absence of badness. The Bible's goodness is an overt, outward determination to do good. And could there ever be a better illustration than that of generosity? The generous person gives others the benefit of the doubt and treats others with respect. She isn't worried about what the act of giving may cost in terms of time or effort. She doesn't wait to be asked and doesn't expect anything in return. That's the real issue of generosity. Generosity is giving something to someone and not have any expectation of getting anything back. The same kind of generosity that we receive when we become Christians. Most of us equate generosity with financial giving, and certainly that's at the core of it. But that's not all. Respect and courtesy and forbearance and patience, all of these are expressions of a generous spirit. Each day, we are given opportunities to exercise generosity of spirit, to respond to impatience with patience, to reply to a hurried or thoughtless comment with an expression of understanding, to overlook what you don't like in someone so that you can find what you do like. For most of us, it doesn't come naturally to be generous. We weren't born generous. Can I get a witness? And if you have little ones at home, We just had our grandchildren. God bless them. They're all wonderful, beautiful, delightful kids, but they're not generous. (laughs) And as teenagers, we seem to be more interested in fairness than generosity. When we become adults, we're so weighed down with financial worry, we can't find time to be generous. We're just trying to make it. But like every virtue that we have talked about in this series and we'll talk about going forward, We can decide to cultivate generosity, and we can depend on God to help us do it. How many of you know that we have a generous God? I think James said it best when he said, every good gift, every perfect gift is from above, and it comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Our God is a generous God, and since we are made in his image, We can take comfort as his children in knowing that generosity is within our reach. And if ours is a world stamped from the beginning to the end by divine generosity, then it stands to reason we ought to risk a generosity ourselves and cultivate that godliness in our heart.
The picture of a generous life is much easier to explain than the term. How many of you know there's some things in life that are better caught than they're taught? You don't learn it by the teaching of it. You're learning by the watching of it. One of the best examples of generosity in action is found in the New Testament. The story is told in Mark. It begins with Jesus sitting near the temple treasury, observing the people as they're giving their offerings. You know the story. It's Mark chapter 12, verses 41 to 44. We know from studying this in the writings of Josephus that in the temple were 13 receptacles where the Jews brought their taxes and their tithes. You see, Israel was a theocracy, so their taxes and their tithes commingled. They ran Israel with taxes and tithes, and they would bring them all to the temple, and they would put them in one of these receptacles where later they would be collected. Now, the receptacles were interesting. If you go back and look in some of the old Bible dictionaries, you see pictures of them, and what they remind me of, they remind me of the old RCA Victrolas. Uh, that had this big horn that came out of it, which was kind of like the speaker horn. But for the receptacle boxes, this horn was like a funnel, and you would throw your money into the big part of it, and it would funnel down into the box. So people would come to the temple with their offerings. And according to Josephus, there were some who were rich and ostentatious. And before they came to the temple, they would take their offering and reduce it to the most coins they could. They would take like $100 instead of bringing a $100 bill as we would today. They would get pennies. And they would bring this hoard of money in bags and walk up to the treasury box and throw it in against the brass receptacle so that it resounded throughout the whole temple. And everybody would stop and say, whoa, somebody just gave a lot of money. There were some Pharisees who were so famous in doing this, they actually got a nickname. This is true. They called them zingers. (laughs) The zingers are in the temple today. They're zinging the temple with their offerings. On this particular day when Jesus was watching, many cast in large amounts of money. But then a poor widow woman came in and quietly made her meager offering. Now in the Greek, the language of the New Testament, the word we translate as poor is the word used to describe someone who is destitute, a pauper, a beggar. In our day, the widow might be someone depending on public assistance for survival or even someone who's homeless. She was dirt poor. In our story, Jesus tells us specifically what this poor widow gave. The Bible says she put in two mites. The word mite is a Greek word which means lepton. And what it is, it's the smallest denomination of a coin minted in the Greek world. In the economy of that day, it was worth one one-twenty-eighth of a day's work. Not enough to buy a loaf of bread. And she put in two of them, so she put in one-sixty-fourth of a day's work. I never want to waste a teaching moment. Jesus pontificates on what happened. Listen to him and see if you don't see how counterintuitive it is to the way we think today. Verse 43, this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury. For they all put in out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all that she had, her whole livelihood. You see, God does math different than we do. God's math is totally unique. 
In fact, G. Campbell Morgan said, it's an interesting thing. He did not say, this poor woman has done splendidly. He did not say, this poor woman's cast in very much. He did not say, she's cast in as much as anyone. He did not say, she's cast in as much as the whole of them. He said, more than all. Presiding over the temple coffers that day, the Lord of the temple took the gifts and sifted them. On the one hand, he put the gifts of wealth and the gifts of ostentation, and on the other hand, two mites, and he declared those two mites were more than all of the other gifts that were given that day. Jesus indicates in teaching us about generosity that the thing of most importance is not how much is given, but the extent to which the gift is sacrificial. A major element of Jesus' teaching is that attitude is more important than action because when the attitude is really right, the action will be really right. Down through the ages, those two mites that that woman put in the treasury that day have raised billions and billions of dollars for God's work as humble people have been liberated to give out of their little. The Lord converted those two coins into perennial wealth of contentment and instruction for his church. She gave more than all of them. So let's go back to our major central point. Generosity is not about how much you have in your pocket. It's about what's in your heart. Now the potential to be generous is available to all of us. We see the picture of it. Let's explore the potential of it. By itself, this radical, spontaneous generosity challenges our hearts. I mean, it does. And then we see it against the backdrop of the culture in which it took place, and it is even more amazing. In the Roman world, where this woman gave her all, generosity was regarded as a virtue that was restricted for the rich and famous and powerful. In fact, the Latin word generosus referred to a person's birth, and it comes from our word genesis, which means beginning. So in the Roman world, to be generous was to be born right. In the Roman world, generosity was for the elite and the aristocrats. In fact, their culture depended on it. If you read history, you'll see it. The quid pro quo of generosity in the days of Jesus is just amazing. The wealthy acted as patrons. They funded the work of artists and artisans as well as commissioning public works. And however, unlike our definition of generosity, which expects nothing in return, wealthy Roman citizens were compensated for the strain on their bank account. This could take the form of preferential business, It could promote a patron for political office. It could advocate for favorable laws, championing a benefactor's civil status. Come to think of it, it's pretty much like what happens in our world here in America today, isn't it not? Washington could be painted all over this. In case you don't get it, just think of this. The Lincoln bedroom, that'll help you. Because the Lincoln bedroom was bartered for favors during a whole administration. The widow who gave all that she had that day would not have been expected to be generous at all. She was swimming upstream against the very culture of her day. She was not born well. She was not wealthy. She was not elite. She was not famous, and she was not powerful. But Jesus said her gift was more than all that was given by the aristocrats of that day. Now, as Americans, we like to pat ourselves on the back and repeat the mantra that we are the most generous nation in the world. 
Now, the fact is, our government gives a lot of money away. Can I get a witness? But that does not make us a generous nation. A generous nation is made up of generous people. And it may shock you to learn that more than 85% of Americans give away less than 2% of their income each year. 85% of all the people who live in America give less than 2%, not just to their church, but to any charitable Now, if you put that on paper and say, is America a generous nation? I'm not sure. And you may take great comfort that you're in the church. Let me put a pick in that balloon. (laughs) According to a recent study reported in Relevant Magazine, only 10 to 25% of typical American congregations tithe. That is, they give biblical uh, starting point of 10% to the church, the poor, and the kingdom. The same report concluded that if the remaining 75 to 90% of American Christians began to tithe regularly, listen carefully, global hunger, starvation, and death from preventable diseases would be relieved in five years. The world's water and sanitation issues would be solved. All overseas missions work would be fully funded, and more than $100 billion per year would be left over for additional ministry. If just the rest of the people who call themselves Christians would begin to tithe. Pretty amazing story, isn't it? So we are a generous nation because we give a lot of our government's money away to other nations, and we seem to do it. I don't know how we do it because all I hear about is how much we're in debt, and then I read the papers. We just gave another some billion dollars to somebody. I don't know where it comes from. I guess we just go print it and then send it out. But we are not by the real standard, a nation of generous people. And it's not getting better. It's getting worse. So how do we become generous people? This is what we all want to know. What is the true path to becoming generous? How do we cultivate this in our lives? First of all, you've got to change the way you think about money. To be a generous person, you've got to get over this idea that your money is yours, that you are the owner. The most vital step we take toward developing a generous spirit is thinking about money in the right way. Remember what the scripture says, every good gift and every perfect gift comes down from God. And we realize that nothing is ours to start with. We came into this world with nothing, we'll go out of this world with nothing, but in between the beginning and the end, Almighty God gives us the opportunity to manage some of his stuff. And he gives us resources. And he wants us to manage them. Those of us who are Christians, he wants us to manage them in his behalf to make sure that his work is getting done, that his purposes are being accomplished. And he wants us to manage it in behalf of our family. And yes, the Bible says he wants to enjoy what he gives us. But we are not owners. We never have been owners. And we will never be owners. All that we have, all that we have ever had, all that we ever will have until we get to heaven belongs to God. And he just wants us to manage it for him. How many of you know it's a lot easier to give away somebody else's money than to give away your own? Just think about that for a moment. So when you're struggling with this, say, hey, God, I'm going to give some of your stuff away today. Because it's his. It's not yours. Amen. Hold it in your hand with your hand open. God can add to it and he can take from it. And you will be a happy person. Part two of A Life of Generosity tomorrow here on Turning Point, and then on Friday, A Life of Integrity. The series is based on the nine qualities of a spirit-filled life found in Paul's writings. We've tried to bring them into the real world where we live and 
demonstrate how important these qualities are. But friends, you can't have these qualities by your own uh, initiative. These are qualities that are referred to as the fruit of the Spirit, and you have to have the Spirit of God. If you're not a Christian, you don't have the Spirit of God. And if you are a Christian, you're to be filled with the Spirit of God, and this will be the result of that, these qualities being displayed in your life. Well, we're almost to the end of our opportunity to tell you about the cruise to the Caribbean, so uh, if you're planning to go, don't wait any longer. Go to our website, davidjeremiah.org. You'll find all the details there about it, and we hope to see you then. And we'll look forward to seeing you right here tomorrow for the next edition of Turning Point. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series, A Life Beyond Amazing, please visit our website. There you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. Fill your Christmas with meaning and joy by asking for your copy of David's book and new docudrama DVD, Why the Nativity? Sure to become a Christmas classic. Each is available for your gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James versions. Available in your choice of cover options. Get the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, A Life Beyond Amazing, here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. If you've enjoyed today's program with Dr. David Jeremiah, you might be interested in hearing it again at your convenience. Stay connected to Turning Point by visiting our website at davidjeremiah.ca or by downloading our free Canadian mobile app. The app can be found by searching for Turning Point Canada on your smart device app store. Create an account and order digital resources from today's program with easy one-click checkout at davidjeremiah.ca. For more than 40 years, Dr. David Jeremiah has faithfully preached God's Word. And as the world changes, how the message is delivered expands. Turning Point Plus was created as the next step in our digital broadcast ministry. And it's available instantly when you sign up to support Turning Point with an automatic monthly gift of any amount. Learn more and access more than 12,000 audio and video messages at turningpointplus.org. If you're looking to celebrate the holiday season in a meaningful way, consider revisiting the story of the first Christmas. In the newest edition of his book called Why the Nativity, Dr. David Jeremiah looks in close detail at the people and events surrounding that special day. The book and brand new docudrama are yours when you support Turning Point this month with a gift of $60 or more. If you give $100 or more, you'll also receive the correlating CD album and study guide. Donate today at davidjeremiah.ca. Phillips Brooks was a 19th century New England Anglican clergyman. He was once asked if it was necessary to have a personal experience of Christ in order to be a Christian. He paused and then gave this answer. My friend, a personal experience of Christ is Christianity. Some people may embrace Christianity for family reasons, traditional reasons, or even moral reasons. But until a person embraces Jesus Christ for personal reasons, 
Christ's and theirs. They have not embraced the essence of the Christian faith. No one is saved by family, tradition, or morals. We are saved by faith in Jesus Christ alone. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's plan of salvation on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.